This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa podcast. Just when you thought shit couldn't get any weirder, the GOP started eating their own. In what will go down in history as the shortest House Speaker term, Kevin McCarthy was booted out of his precariously assembled Speaker seat by none other than Florida man Matt Gates, who just one year earlier was under investigation for sex trafficking, illicit drug use, and sex with a minor in addition to a slew of nefarious deeds that may yet come back to haunt the far-right congressman. It has also cemented Gates' status as the most hated member of Congress, and that's saying a lot in a party where Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene are members in good standing. McCarthy was ousted on Tuesday from his seat by eight members of his own party, aided by Democrats happy to watch the California representative drown in a mess of his own making. And it made McCarthy the first speaker to be removed from office. The coup was orchestrated and led by Gates after McCarthy worked with Democrats to pass a last-ditch effort to prevent a federal shutdown. After his ouster, McCarthy told colleagues he would not seek the speakership when a new vote is called bringing an end to his brief but tumultuous rise. It also leaves California with diminished influence in Congress. Now, according to the New York Times, McCarthy has argued that Gates's motion to remove him as Speaker is little more than personal payback for Mr. McCarthy's failure to interfere with the inquiry, which is looking into allegations of sexual misconduct and misuse of funds by Mr. Gates. Since the spring of 2021, Gates has been under investigation over allegations that he engaged in sexual misconduct and illicit drug use, shared inappropriate images or videos on the House floor, misused state identification records, converted campaign funds to personal funds, and accepted impermissible gifts under House rules, amongst other allegations. As as if those weren't fucking enough. The secretive congressional investigation was paused while the Justice Department carried out a related investigation of Gates' conduct, including allegations involving sex trafficking and sex with a minor. In February, the Justice Department decided not to bring charges against Gates after concluding that they could not make a strong enough case in court. Once the Justice Department inquiry ended, the Ethics Committee resumed its work, according to people familiar with the matter, reaching out to witnesses for interviews. However, a person familiar with the matter said the committee, which is made up of an equal number of Republicans and Democrats, has not yet reached out to a key witness at the center of the most serious allegation against Gates. Gates said that the overthrowing McCarthy was about the politics and not some personal vendetta. But he also said this, I believe Speaker McCarthy is trying to signal to the Ethics Committee to pursue me. In an op-ed published Tuesday, former House Speaker Newt Gingrich, I mean, no slouch in the asshole department himself, described Gates as childish and called for him to be expelled from the Republican ranks. Another Republican colleague, Representative Mike Lawler, said that Gates as a petulant child. As his motion to remove McCarthy was about to be put to a vote, 
Gates was thrust firmly in the national spotlight, berating his own colleagues on the House floor while fending off accusations that he was throwing the House into disarray. Chaos is Speaker McCarthy, he said. Kevin McCarthy said something to all of us at one point or another that he didn't really mean and never intended to live up to. I don't think voting against Kevin McCarthy is chaos. Gates only needed a handful of votes to oust McCarthy. And yesterday, seven additional to Gates joined him in voting to vacate, along with every Democrat who voted. That the pariah from his own party could successfully commandeer a rebellion to oust him says volumes about McCarthy's weak hold on the gavel. I mean, let's, be, let's go back in time. It took him 15 fucking ballots to get elected in the first place. An abso-fucking-lutely humiliating rebuff of his leadership. And to win it, he allowed that a single member, a single member, could call for a vote to vacate. In the end, Gates used the knife that McCarthy had handed him. So now what, folks? I mean, McCarthy was a spineless piece of shit, but at least he wasn't one of them. All we have now to look forward to on the floor of Congress is chaos and the possibility that a fucking nutbag at creepy Jim Jordan could end up the next Speaker of the House. The potential fallout is vast. The House is now, for all intents and purposes, paralyzed on accomplishing its most important tasks, with no Speaker in place and no roadmap for effective governance even as new deadlines approach to continue funding the federal government and to pass bills that might actually become law in a divided Washington. But that's not all. Not long after the removal, Marjorie Toilet Green called for Trump to replace McCarthy. I mean, you believe this shit? Trump is the only candidate for speaker I am currently supporting, Green stated on the platform formerly known as Twitter. And along with Green, conspiracy theorist Alex Jones, disgraced former Trump advisor Steve Bannon, and conservative network Newsmax also began floating the notion of Trump as the new speaker not long after McCarthy was ejected. Fox News host Sean Hannity said that he communicated with a number of GOP lawmakers who were planning to make the move to nominate Trump, saying, and I quote, I have been told that Trump might be open to helping the Republican Party, at least in the short term, if necessary. Jim Jordan, trying not to sound like Trump, was using him for a hand puppet, said, and I quote again, he'd be great, but actually, I want Donald Trump to be the next president of the United States. But if he wants to be speaker, great. That's where we need him, at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, the White House. But if he wants to be speaker, that's fine too. I mean, let's be serious. This is all too crazy to consider. But that just might be the point as well. Gates and his lunatic cohorts are political nihilists bent on chaos. Well, just for the sake of chaos. GOP presidential candidate and professional asshole Vivek Ramaswamy said that chaos is the point entirely. And here's his quote. You know what? Once in a while, a little chaos isn't such a bad thing, he said. And my advice to the people who voted to remove him is own it. Admit it. There was no better plan of action of who's going to fill that speaker role. So was the point to sow chaos? Yes, it was. 
But the real question to ask, to get to the bottom of it, is whether chaos is really such a bad thing. And now for the main event. My next guest on Mea Culpa is the fantastic Eli Mistel, the nation's justice correspondent and the host of its legal podcast, Contempt of Court. Mistel, in addition to being a frequent guest on MSNBC, is also an Alfred Nobel Fellow at the Type Media Center. His first book is the New York Times bestseller, Allow Me to Retort, A Black Guy's Guide to the Constitution. Mistal is also an attorney and considered one of the foremost experts on the Supreme Court. But the best part is that he's also funny as hell and can be seen trolling the GOP daily on the platform formerly known as Twitter. So Ellie joins us today as the House of Representatives descends into chaos and that the GOP searches for another sucker to take the speaker's gavel. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Ellie. Kevin McCarthy yesterday, unprecedented. I mean, once again, another unprecedented event in American history. He was ousted yesterday as House Speaker by the far-right members. I mean, then he's saying, Democrats let him down. I mean, all of a sudden, it's now the Democrats are supposed to come in and they're supposed to save Kevin McCarthy. What happens next in your mind? Does the House become the property of the far-right Will they maybe bring in Hakeem Jeffries? What do you think is going to happen here? Well, okay, slow down. There, there's so there's so many delicious angles to this story, and I want to start with something your listeners will appreciate because Michael, you and I do a lot of television, right? We we do a lot of going on the air and saying our opinions and what have you, and we understand that when the cameras are on, we're being recorded. And people are going to listen to what we say. So when we go on television, we try, I believe you and I, try not to slag off people that we need, people who can help us, people who have been good to us in the past. And yet Kevin McCarthy last weekend went on Face the Nation and just called Democrats everything but a son of God. After the Democrats delivered him the votes for the continuing resolution to keep the government open, Kevin McCarthy went on live recorded television and decided to slag off the only people that could save him. Kevin McCarthy is out because he was bad at politics, not just the governing part of politics, but the actual interpersonal relationship part of politics. Kevin McCarthy failed that test, and that is why he's out. In terms of what happens next, look, the, the House GOP is already totally captured by the far right. So unlike some, I am not particularly, you know, they're, oh, yes, it can always get worse. But it's also, it's always going to get worse in the same kind of cycle. I think Jim Jordan will be the next uh, Republican Speaker of the House. I think he should have been the Speaker of the House the first time. Jim Jordan is kind of the perfect House Republican, right? He doesn't like to govern, right? He does like to shout. And he's uh, uh, selectively blind about sexual abuse. That that's that's like the House GOP right there. So I think it's going to be him. I'm sure Michael, you've heard, and I'd love to hear your thoughts actually on whether uh, Donald Trump should be the the House Speaker. You know that they're talking about it. Personally, I don't think that he has time. He's a little busy right now. But 
You know, um, but it's you know, funny because I heard be... that as well. And, you know, look, we can talk about Jim Jordan till the cow comes home. Uh, I mean, this asshole refuses to put on a fucking jacket while he's sitting there as a member, or I should say he's the chair of the House Oversight Committee. I, and now the creator of this weaponization committee. I mean, you're 100% correct. He doesn't, he doesn't follow protocol. He is perfect for the GOP. But the notion that somebody who lacks the qualifications of a Jim Jordan to be Speaker of the House, the third in line to the, to the presidency, God forbid something happens to the president and vice president, it's, it just goes to show you that our entire political process is screwed up. Jim Jordan should never even be a member of Congress. He's a complete fucking buffoon. He acts like a complete asshole, right? And then you got Nadler who sits, uh, you know, uh, there is the, you know, as the, uh, what do you call it? The, the minority leader who has no ability to control him. As soon as Jim Jordan starts speaking, he shuts up. I mean, the only ones that actually fight with Jim Jordan are the Jamie Raskins of the world. The Dan Goldman's of the world, the Steve Cohen's of the world, right? You have this guy Moskowitz, Jared Moskowitz of the world, and then you have a, and more and more, but not not the guy who's the minority leader. I mean, it is absolutely appalling to me. Though the real money right now in Vegas is not on Jim Jordan as the next speaker, but on uh, Scalise. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard that too. I, I think, look, uh, I, Scalise is sick. Scalise is sick. Uh, he, he's, he's undergoing cancer treatments. Um, I'll, I'll note um, with some interest that he suddenly is wearing a mask in Congress after um, being one of the, the, the chief anti-maskers. Um, but now that he's personally sick, he's wearing a mask. I find that interesting. But the man is 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 unwell. And, you know, I don't you just like Jamie Raskin, like you're I, I am proud of what Jamie Raskin has been able to do um, as he fights through his illness. But you you want to give people some human uh, grace uh, 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 to, to work through their health issues. And so I don't want to kind of put all of this. Uh, on Scalise, I, I I think Jordan would be their pick. I think that, you know, look, I also think, Michael, and I, this is going to sound weird, I don't think the pick matters nearly as much as other people think. The Republicans want to do very few things, right? They, they, they want to vote against things. They don't want to vote for things, right? So whoever the next House Speaker is will be under incredible pressure to shut down the government again. Right. Like the once uh, the the continuing resolution is only 45 days, we're going to have to do this whole dance again in late November. And whether or not the Republicans want to shut down the government for the holidays is once again going to be largely an internal fight within their caucus. Um, if they shut down the government, they will get blamed for it because the party that shuts down the government always gets blamed for it, especially if they're going to do it around the holidays and put people out of work uh, in time for, for Christmas and Hanukkah. So we shall see. But like in terms of like any kind of big ticket priority items, Republicans don't have them. They want to vote against things. They want to they want to tarnish Hunter Biden. So they're going to keep doing that. But they're not going to pass anything because the, the caucus can't govern. Well, that's unfortunately based upon the numbers like yesterday. 
there were 216 yeas to 210 nays to oust um, McCarthy from his seat. I think that meant that there were eight Republicans that jumped onto the other side. So hypothetically, mm-hmm. how many people would be needed in order, let's not forget how hard it was for McCarthy to actually get the seat in the first place. How many people, how many Republicans need to be against Jim Jordan for him not to be elected as speaker? And I'll go one step further, too. Jim Jordan's a big baby. I've been before him. I'm telling you, he's mm-hmm. a big baby. He does not have the fortitude, as McCarthy did, to get up there 15 different times in order to become speaker. McCarthy just wanted it, and he has no self-respect. He didn't give a shit. He was just going to keep going until he ultimately succeeded. And they were going to promise everybody everything in the sun just so that he could succeed. In fact, I actually thought, and I had predicted that this was going to happen, but I thought it would have happened months and months ago. I didn't think he would last as long as he did, not with the Matt Gaetzes <laughs> and the other chaos caucus members. But how many people, how many GOP members do, uh, would need to switch sides and vote against if, Jim look, Jordan? The Republicans have a seven-vote majority in the House. So Jim Jordan can af- afford to lose six people. Steve Scalise can afford to lose six people, right? Because they have a seven-vote majority. If the Democrats all uh, um, hang together, as it looks like they will, Michael, I I also asked the question this way, and I know that, that, you know, in kind of D.C. political punditry, nobody should talk about this. But I'm going to ask in question, how many Republicans does it take to make Hakeem Jeffries the Speaker of the House? And And it's the same number. It's seven. Right. If you get seven Republicans who are not in for the for the jacketless Jim Jordan show, if you get seven Republicans who are not down to shut down the government, it takes seven to make Hakeem Jeffries the Speaker of the House and have some kind of power sharing arrangement um, between Democrats and Republicans, which and I know this sounds this makes me sound naive, but I am old. I am old enough to remember when coalition government was a thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And the idea that you would find moderates in the in the Democratic Party and moderates in the Republican Party to come together to find some kind of governing coalition for a year and a half shouldn't be a complete non-starter. That's something that you should be able to do. Now, as a crazy, super liberal dude, I probably hate it. Right. I I I probably wouldn't be uh, I'd probably be screaming about the Democrats making deals with untrustworthy Republicans. And, you know, the Jim Jordans of the world, they would hate it, too. But there's some there's got the fact that that what I'm saying seems impossible to people is one of the biggest reasons why our politics is broken. Because it should be possible in a situation like this for moderates on both sides to come together together around a unity candidate. And right now that unity candidate is Hakeem Jeffries because he's the one with the he's the one who's able to, to control the largest block of votes. It's not gonna happen. I don't know. I think you're absolutely right to to point out that Jim Jordan doesn't seem to have the the shame kink that Kevin McCarthy did. So I don't know if he's gonna stand. 
for for 15 terms. I don't know, again, with Leafs Leafs being sick, that they're going to put him through a similar thing. I just, I don't know how it plays out in terms of getting a new speaker. I'm just kind of saying that there's another way to go if we were living in a better country. Let's put it like that. Yeah. Well, you wrote of the speaker debacle that, and I quote, the next speaker being worse than McCarthy. Yeah, sure, probably. But here's the thing. God don't like ugly. If you throw someone a life raft and pull them to safety and they get on the boat and slap you in the face, the next time he falls in, you just sail by. So do me a favor and unpack for my listeners what you meant here, because there's actually very funny jokes that are similar to that notion, right? And one of them has to do with Donald Trump drowning and some guy swims out there and pulls him back and he's, you know, pumping his chest and getting the water out and Donald finally opens his eyes, right? And then he punches the guy right in the nuts. The guy says, what the fuck? So he goes, who gave you permission to touch me? So that when I saw your when I saw your uh, you know your quote, it reminded me of that joke. Yeah, look, the, Trump and does this all the time. I mean, every uh, everything that Trump touches dies, and and Trump will always throw his friends, associates, allies, um, family under the bus if it helps him. You know that better than most. Yeah. Um, but Kevin McCarthy was in a similar position, where to run the government, to keep the government open, he had to get help from Democrats. And Democrats gave him that help. And then he goes on TV and he slags them off. And then he goes on on, on TV and he calls them and he lies about them. And he says that Democrats were the one trying to shut down the government, which was just straight up not true. And this happens time and again, this has happened time and again with McCarthy, where he has promised people things and then not gone through on their promises according to nancy mace and i don't know that i believe nancy mace but according to nancy mace one of the eight republicans who voted to oust kevin mccarthy mccarthy made a promise to her about the republican caucus willingness to protect women's rights in a post roe v wade world and mccarthy reneged on that promise and according to mace and again i don't know if i believe her but according to mace that is why she voted against mccarthy right so again as i said at the top there there are two levels of politics right there's the kind of governing policy um whatever of politics but then there's also the interpersonal relationships there there is the there is the foundation of trust deals there is a reason again as a crazy liberal much to my chagrin there is a reason why you know senators will always refer to my friend from the great state of alabama my friend from the great state of california they're not friends all right they don't like each other but they understand that they have to work together and when you are working together with somebody that can only happen if there's a foundation of trust of trust kevin mccarthy failed to maintain that foundation Mm -hmm. of trust trust and so when he was drowning when he needed democrats help the most to save his job why would they save him what has he done you know you you know what votes he he wasn't going to get to to keep him in speaker Adam Schiff or Eric Swalwell, who we kicked off their committees for no reason other than to appraise Marjorie Taylor Greene. See, Democrats always, you know, I always say that Democrats bring a knife to a gunfight, but they're not, but they are strategic. 
And one of the things about saving McCarthy in this moment was that if you saved him, you couldn't trust anything that he said, and he was going to be even more captured by the right who tried to oust him instead of by the left, which actually saved him. So those are those are that's why that's why um Hakeem Jeffries and the Democratic Caucus sailed on by. They helped the you know, I hate to I hate to quote George W. Bush, but fool me once, shame on you. Mm-hmm. Fool me twice, you know what they say, you can't get fooled again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but look, Hakeem Jeffries, I see him very similar to the way that you do. He reminds me of the Tip O'Neill of yesteryears, or even the John Boehners. You know, people people always used to make fun of John Boehner. They even made fun of, you know, Tip O'Neill. But the the difference is you could have a fight. And they fought. They fucking fought like cats and dogs, which is what you're supposed to do. But at the end of the day, they all went out to the restaurant. They had a beer together or a drink together. And they called it a truce. A truce until the following day, because they have their agenda, you have your agenda, but somehow or another, while we're both trying to get our agendas accomplished, we still have the United States of America's constituents that we have to ensure that we're doing something for. I may have my personal opinion, you may have your personal opinion, no problem. I respect yours, you respect mine, we don't have to agree, but at the end of the day, we have, to, we have to do something in order to advance America. That's not who Kevin McCarthy was. It's certainly not who, um, you know, Jimbo Jordan is going to be, right, or Jim Bag Jordan. I mean, it's just not who they are. When I watch Jim Bag sitting up there, in his opinion, he thinks he's God. And that nobody's allowed to say anything. No one's allowed to speak. He's going to make up the rules as he goes along. Which sort of brings me to something that you just said. They lied. McCarthy went on television and he bold-faced lied to the American people on live television. All right? My question to you on that... How do you stop this? I mean, I know that during these debates and sometimes when they're doing um, one of these, what do they call them, like town halls, they have a fact checker that's sitting right then and there and they off on the right hand side, they have the fact checker turn and say, yeah, that shit just ain't true. That's, a, <laughs> you know, that's half true. That's fully true. We don't have that anymore. So if the Speaker of the House has the balls to get up in front of the American people, and to lie the way that he did. One, I'm glad he's gone, though it's unprecedented we don't have a Speaker of the House. What do we do to stop these lies? And the stopping of the lies cannot just be you and me and others going on television and speaking sadly to the same group that already know it's a lie. We're not breaking through to the other side. Yeah, so this is not this is to me less of a political problem and more of a journalism problem, right? Because from from where I sit, politicians have always lied. Like that's like that's just like you go back in American history, you're gonna find some damn lies. Man, you're like, man, you're like, one hell of a cynic, dude. Woo. <laughs> politician, politician. It's part of the lying is something that they do, right? 
what's somewhat new in our kind of in our modern world is not that the politicians lie. It's that we've got entire media organizations and conglomerates that are in cahoots with the lie, that are kind of actively pressing forward the lie, that are amplifying the lies. Um, and thus we have an entire kind of half of the country who's unwilling to punish politicians from lying, right? The, the whole point of having a, an election, right, is that when politicians do things that are bad, you can recall them in the next election, right? You can punish them um, for bad behavior. And that's something that used to happen and doesn't happen anymore in part because of, again, the right-wing conglomeration of media. So when you talk about stopping the lying, what you're really talking about doing is stopping the incentive for media organizations to promote and platform the lies, right? And so that becomes a different problem. One of the problems is the First Amendment. I mean, the, you don't want the government regulating media. That would be terrible. And that, that would be terrible when somebody like Joe Biden is president. It's it's it, You can't recover from it if somebody like uh, Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis becomes president, right? So, like, you don't want the government regulating what is news and what is not news, right? Um, so that's 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 part of your 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 challenge. Um, I think the other, the, I think the the way you really start to get at it is to try to bring to bear all of the other things that we have in our capitalist society, right? You try to bring the ad dollars to bear against the lying news organizations. You try to get people to vote with their pocketbook as opposed to, um, and, and their eyeballs, right? You try to get people, you try to take the money out of the lying, um, and that will do as much to stop the lying um, as I can think of. Uh, we, we, we're not great at this point in our country in, in the kind of economic pressure uh, um, that, that we need to do. Like, you know, a, a corporation can can support Fox News and support Tucker Carlson's show. But, you know, if you got to shop at the Walmart on, on, on Saturday, you're still going to go to the Walmart, right? Like you can't – it's difficult to get people – into collective economic action um but some kind of collective action is necessary if we want to actually stop politicians from lying in the particularly kind of loud and aggressive way they do now so let me ask you this then is there a scenario where we actually have to deal for example with matt gates as house speaker uh <laughs> i mean i don't I, look, I don't know what else is on his Venmo, but I don't know that he wants us to find out. There, there is an, there is an extra betting that comes as you get higher and higher up the ranks. That I don't know that Matt Gates is even interested in, in in trying. So no. Also, like you know, Republicans are interested in retribution. Like that that is a that that is a sin that they are often guilty of. So I, I you know, for the two hundred and ten Republicans that did vote to keep Kevin McCarthy. I don't think they will reward Matt Gates um for his uh, uh for his rebellion. Um so I don't think that's in the cards for him. Honestly, Michael, I think, you know, you want a hot take. I think Matt Gates is running to be the next governor of Florida. Right? I I I I think what Gates is thinking is that DeSantis by daring to run against Trump has lost the endorsement of Donald Trump. DeSantis would not have been governor of Florida without the endorsement of Donald Trump. 
the next time DeSantis is up for a primary, after he loses this next presidential, after after he loses the presidential primary, Gates will run in Florida in a primary against Donald against Ron DeSantis, and this time Gates will have mm-hmm. the endorsement of Trump. And I think that's what he's trying to do. I don't think he's trying to be speaker. I certainly don't try, think he's trying to be senator. I think he's coming for for. I think this is all, and it's I know it sounds cr- crazy, cuckoo puff conspiracy theory. I think all of this from Gates was actually about DeSantis and not even about McCarthy. You're not the only one who said it. I saw a great article in Politico that said the exact same thing onto it, that, you know, a lot of folks in the GOP are saying that, you know, Gates did this, that this was orchestrated. He doesn't like McCarthy in the first place, but... I mean, putting all that shit aside, you know, supposedly they were in some closed room session and one GOP told Matt Gates to fuck off, you know, because he was trying to get everybody um, to vote McCarthy out. But that they claim that the real goal of Gates is to seek this future foothold as one of two things, either as the next governor in the 2026 which is when uh, DeSantis's um, reign of stupidity is over, right? Or they say that he may even be thinking about becoming a conservative TV pundit, right? To get his own maybe show <laughs> on Fox or something like that. You know, I'm not, I'm not joking. I mean, that's the sort of rumors that are running around DC at the moment. But I'm with you because nobody, especially not McCarthy, they're still turning around and scratching their head and saying, what the hell triggered this level of hostility from Gates against McCarthy? Now, if you have an issue with the debt ceiling, I mean, I love how the GOP continues on message to say, well, we have a $31 trillion deficit. And that Joe Biden increased the deficit by $5 trillion over the course of the past two years. And I'm not 100% certain that that number is accurate. But I'll tell you what number is accurate. Donald Trump, during his administration, raised the, raised the deficit by $8 trillion. They, that, see, that's yep. okay. Because Donald did it. That's okay. But the fact that this is going on now under the Biden administration... And it's still $3 trillion less. And we have now certain uh, laws that they or acts that they're trying to impose that would reduce our nation's debt. No, that's not good enough. We need a total and complete withdrawal from assisting Ukraine. We need a complete ban on migrants coming into America. It's all on fentanyl. We should be attacking Mexico with our with our military. I mean, they're really radical stuff. Republicans raised the debt ceiling under Trump three or four times, but no problems. But now that the Democrats in charge now, I mean, that's the thing about the the government shutdown. It was a it was the people were calling it the Seinfeld shutdown, right? A shutdown over nothing. Like it's not even clear what Gates and his crew want. Um, what they want is to be obstructionist, right? And, and, I, and I keep going back to the fact that Republicans don't actually like to vote for things. It's one of the reasons why they're, they're, they're you almost can imagine that they're kind of sad 
when they get in control of one of the houses of Congress because they don't actually like to vote for things. They only like to vote against things, right? Remember right. Um, when they took over uh, uh, and they tried to repeal and replace Obamacare? Yep. Right. They, they, when they were in the minority, they voted like 41 times to repeal Obamacare, right? But once they got the majority under Trump, under a president who was going to sign the bill, all of a sudden they didn't have the votes to repeal Obamacare. And they certainly didn't have the votes to replace it with anything else. When it comes time to actually governing, the Republicans basically lose their nerve. When it comes time to smashing, the Republicans are very good, right? Um, it's, it's, it's the old kind of kindergarten thing. Like it's a lot harder to build you know, a block castle than it is to monster stomp a block, a block castle. And Republicans are all about the kin the Republicans are the kindergartner that comes through and knocks over your Legos right. and calls it playtime. Um, so th that's, that's why I, I, that's why it's hard to pin any kind of policy issue on Gates, on Mace, on the, uh, on the rebellious eight, um, because it's not anything they actually want. They just they're just a lot of things that they don't want. Um, so that makes it all weird. But it also, you know, I keep coming back to it's why Trump isn't going to be the Speaker of the House, but it would be hilarious if he was, right? Because you're talking about a person not only again, what I keep saying is he's way too busy uh for the job, but like all he he he's the very definition of a person who doesn't want to build things, just wants to smash things. Um, and watching him like lead this house caucus and be kind of on C-SPAN solely responsible for shutting down the government during the holidays. Like, well, he did it. He did, like he did it before, but you know, the interesting right? thing is that I was reading in Newsweek, at least three, it's only three that have actually been brave enough to come out, despite how despicable it may sound. Only three of House members, GOP House members, have come out and stated publicly that they have every intention of nominating and supporting Donald as the new speaker. Right. Texas uh, Representative Troy Nels, Florida's um, Greg Staub, and of course, George's Marjorie Toilet Green. And all three have said that they're the only, he's the only one that they're going to support because, and here's what, this is great, Nell said this in a, in a statement. President Trump, the greatest president of my lifetime, has a proven record of putting America first and will make the house great again. I mean, talk about a bullshit advertising bumper sticker slogan to raise money. This fucking guy, Nels, is Troy Nels from Texas, is as full of shit as Marjorie Toilet Green or, you know, even Matt Gates and the whole bit. You see, at least Matt Gates is strategic in what he did. He's, he knew he wanted to get rid of McCarthy. Again, I'm with you on this. Um, I'm 100% with you on it, whereby, you know, he's doing it to become governor. It makes perfect sense. He's going to ride this thing all the way to the gubernatorial election. But what the hell is Troy Nels doing? He's the greatest president of my lifetime? Serious? How old, the, how old are you? Eight? The, <laughs> six? Um, look, there, there, are, there are many funny things about this, but the, I, I focus on two, 
two bits of insanity and hilarity. One, as you noticed with with Nels, as you've noted with Green, um, the list of things they expect Trump to be able to do as Speaker of the House is a list of things that he wasn't able to do when he was president of the United States and had both houses of Congress um, in his corner. Wasn't able to get done most of what Marjorie Taylor Greene says that he's going to be able to get done as Speaker of the House in a world where Democrats control both the Senate and the White House. It is like, and, and this kind of goes to the the Republican deification of Trump. Like they they are, there are Republicans in that party that honestly think that Trump can do anything despite all of the evidence to the contrary, right? And so they ascribe to him literal superpowers that he doesn't have that nobody has, that he's proven that he can't deliver on. And yet they keep doing it, which brings me to my second point. And this is like part of the true deep insanity of the Republican Party right now. I don't think they understand how their desperation to lick Trump's boots makes them look weak. Doesn't make Trump look weak. It, make, it makes Trump look like he's super important and everybody's talking about him or whatever. But it makes one of the reasons why Kevin McCarthy wasn't able to hold on to his job is because he was an incredibly weak speaker because everybody knew that he was just a Trump sock puppet and would say any would, would be summoned to Mar-a-Lago at a moment's notice, right? And that's the problem with all of them. That's the problem with Green. That's the problem with Nels. That's the problem with Gates. Like everybody knows that they are they are beholden and afraid of some other man, right? It's the problem with Ted Cruz. It's the problem with Lindsey Graham. And like not to go all like chest thumping male, right? But when you are in politics and you look so desperately weak, so incredibly afraid of some guy it makes it makes people not a not trust you b not believe that you can deliver deliver on your pro- promises and c look incredibly feckless and weak yeah. and i just don't think the republicans ever get that this felicity towards trump this genuflection towards trump diminishes them and their political prospects so very much i don't think they ever kind of play the tape out all the way to the end, right? Everybody wants to be be well, they do stuck something, up to look, Trump. But Ellie, they do turn around. They they do seem, you know, to get reelected. That's the crazy thing. I mean, there's probably a better than likely chance that, you know, Marjorie Toilet Green is going to get reelected. The same thing with Cruz. How, I mean, how many, you know, um, how many elections has he now been successful in? He's the same feckless, weak slime bag that he's always been. But what they do is they spin it a different way. The Democrats are against Donald Trump, and they are acting as his foot soldiers in order to protect him, trying to you know, demonstrate strength as opposed to the fact that they need Donald's whacked-out base Right, his base of idiots with four fucking teeth and three brain cells. Right, he, they need them in order to one finance their campaigns and two to win their campaigns. Yeah, it gets them elected, Michael, but it doesn't get them any respect and it doesn't get them any power. 
right? Any actual real political power because everybody knows that the real power is the guy that's not in the room, right? So like, I think about this in terms of like, you know, let's go back to high school, right? You ever see the kid who's a, he, his daddy was the principal, right? The kid who, who's, who's um, the kid who wasn't the big uh, uh, quarterback or, or athlete, right? But the kid who was like friends with the quarterback or the athlete, right? You never respected that kid. Right. You were never <laughs> you never thought that that kid was the person you had to deal with. Right. If you saw that kid kind of walking on the street and he was like, hey, buy me a sandwich, you'd be like, no, your daddy ain't here. Go go run and ask your daddy and then maybe I'll buy you a sandwich. Right. Because you're you're the weak kid. Yeah, but Jim and Jordan, I know who the but real in all fairness, um, the, uh, that's Jim Jordan. And he's managed now to be the top or one of the top contenders, right, for the speaker. So I, I agree with you. But this GOP is so screwed up. I mean, the whole the whole GOP is so absolutely upside down, inside out and twisted. That logic, like what you're saying, because I agree with you completely, it, it would work, except we're living in some sort of an alternate universe right now where... We are in Bizarro World, right? man. Where, where, the, where the fucking jerk-off is actually going to be a leader. I mean, anybody who watches Jim Jordan, turn and they, they're like, this guy is unprepared for anything and everything. He comes in like, you know, he, he's coming to a, a wrestling match. I mean, you know, he thinks he's a bull in a china shop. He's an ass-kisser to Trump, right? You know... With Jim Jordan, they say to him all the time, what's the difference between a brown nose and an ass kisser when it comes to you and Donald? And the answer is depth perception. <laughs> right? I mean, this guy's nose is so far buried up Trump's ass. Meanwhile, he is the top contender. So I agree with you in reality, in the real world, when things are normal. But right now, Things aren't normal at all. I, I do I wanted to say, I want to go back to something that you brought up, and that was Kevin McCarthy's interview uh, with Face the Nation. I think that's the one where you mm -hmm. were saying where he was lying and everything. Yep. So do me a favor. Tell my, uh, my listeners here, what was it about that appearance that really got to you? Because you wrote that this, and I quote, will go down as one of the most harmful interviews of the 21st century. That's a big statement to make especially when you think about this century. Um, look, it's, to me, it's very simple. To pass the continuing resolution to keep the government open, 90 Republicans were against it. McCarthy couldn't get that passed with the Republican Party. McCarthy also knew that if the Republican Party shut down the government, the Republican Party would be blamed for shutting down the government because the Republican Party is in control of the House. So in order to get the resolution passed, he needed Democratic votes, which were provided for him. Democrats gave him the votes to pass the continuing resolution, even without funding, because the same resolution did not include funding for Ukraine. Democrats gave that up, exposing themselves to political um, attacks because they didn't include Ukraine funding. So Democrats made a deal, gave him the votes. And then he goes on TV on Sunday and says, and I quote, when he's asked, um, were you sure that the continuing resolution was going to pass? Kevin McCarthy says, and I quote, I wasn't sure that it was going to pass because Democrats did everything they could to obstruct the bill. 
that is not just a lie. That is a slap in the face of the people who just helped you. And it's a slap in the face of the people who just helped you when by Sunday, Jim Jordan already knew that Gates was coming from already mm-hmm. knew that he was going to have four five, six Republicans come to try to oust him for speaker. So he already knew on Sunday when he was ta- lying about what the Democrats did, that he was once again going to need Democratic votes to help him stay uh, remain speaker. And it's the and so. It's not just me saying like, oh, that interview looked bad to me. So uh, the the scuttlebutt is is that you know the the day of the vote yesterday for to oust the speaker and the morning, Jim Clyburn played Kevin McCarthy's Face the Nation clip to the entire Democratic conference, to the entire caucus, just to remind mm-hmm. Democrats before they took their vote just who they were voting for or just who they were being asked to vote for the kind of snake that they were being asked to support, right? So, like, it's not just me saying that. It it, it, it pissed off Democrats, again, at beyond a political level, at a personal level, at a interpersonal, can you work with this man or not level. That's, that's what I think that did him in as much as any other single factor that did him in. Yeah. You can't, you can't piss off the people who you need to help you. And if you're too stupid to know who your real friends are, if you're too stupid to know who you need and who you don't, then you don't have the political acumen to be Speaker of the House anyway. I agree with you on that. So in your latest article for The Nation, and it's a fantastic article, so I'm going to tell all, I, I mean it, uh, you know, all of um, my listeners to take a look at it. You write, and maybe I'm a little biased with it because I'm so personally involved and invested in it. You write how Trump's latest threats to our New York unsinkable attorney general, Tish James, are anything but bluster, and that his words are a very subtle message for violence towards its intended target, this time being Tish James. Let's not forget, he also got gagged by Judge Ngoron for posting about Judge Ngoron's clerk. So do me a favor, unpack for me how Trump uses the threat of violence towards his targets and how this has manifested itself in real life. Well, Michael, I'll go back to you. You've said you have said one of the most prescient and insightful things about the Trump era. You said he speaks in code. Right. And it's the mobsters code. He doesn't say exactly what he wants. But if you're listening, if you have the right antennae up, you know exactly what he wants because you have figured out how to decipher the code. So when he says of Tish James, you ought to go after this attorney general, what does he mean by that? Now, on the surface, you could be anybody and go after could mean anything, right? But let's break it down. Who is the you he's talking about? I say it's perfectly clear that he's talking about the same kind of violent MAGA people, the kind of people who storm the Capitol, the kind of people who shoot up the Walmarts, the kind of people who shoot um, immigration rights protesters, right? Because the other possibility of the you is what? Voters in the state of New York? That That's something he's going to – that's something that he's talking – he thinks that he can tell voters in the state of New York who to vote for for attorney general, one of the most unpopular New Yorkers in history – Thinks he's going to tell people who to vote for in Tish James? No, I don't. I don't think even he 
thinks that. So the you is not the general public. It's a very specific subset of his base, right? Go after. What does go after mean? Right? Now, again, on the surface, it could mean, well, you got to vote her out or investigate. Again, who in New York gives a shit what he thinks about Attorney General just to James? Nobody. Maybe a couple of randos on Staten Island. But other than that, nobody, right? Go after means to do something to harm or intimidate her. Because he's thinking that Tish James is his problem. And that if you if you go after Tish James, his problems in New York goes away. Not understanding, of course, that the lead prosecutor in this case is actually a white man named Kevin Wallace, who Trump, Trump hasn't figured out his name yet, probably, right? Um, but he wants to go after Tish James. He wants to go after... Uh, uh, the judge, because he thinks that go, he thinks that everything is personal, right? He thinks that everything happens because of a personal reason against him, not understanding how the system works. Tish James could be raptured tomorrow. The lawsuit and the trial would continue. So when he's saying go after, when he's saying you go after, my point in my article is that when you break it down, you realize that there is no there's no legal upside to him saying that, right? He's going to be prosecuted no matter what. He's not even facing it. There's no jury to impress or poison, mm-hmm. right? It's a bench trial. So there's no legal upside. There, There's no political upside because while he has done a good job of convincing his fans that all of the prosecutions against him are fake and false, that number doesn't – that number is stable. The people who who don't care about the Trump prosecutions don't care about the Trump prosecutions, right? So there's no additional kind of benefit of telling his people to go after Tish James. The race he also called Tish James a racist, and while that's hilarious because I don't think Tish James just doesn't like orange people, but <laughs> that I kind of get as a political point, right? You want to paint the prosecutor as being racist towards you, right? But go after the prosecutor. What who, who what politically does that help him? doesn't help him politically. It helps him violently. Yeah. So, and that's the point. Yeah. And one of the things that I also said when I said he speaks like a mobster and so on, he knows that the statements that he's making, that they are broad enough that he could absolve himself from any responsibility if something happened. The same way he's trying to absolve himself from responsibility on January 6th. I never told them to break into the Capitol. Right. You know, I just said, I'll meet you there. I would have been talking about violent protest. It wasn't a violent protest. It was a lot of love there. There was more love there than, you know, than anywhere that I've ever seen in my life. I mean, that's what he does. He puts out these um, general sort of statements. But he knows that out of this magamaniac group, there might be one, two, ten, twenty that may read into his statement the way they want to read into his statement because it's almost like if you play with the words, right? Um, for example, let's go eat, Grandma, right? You're a good grandson, and you're going to go take your grandmother for some food. Now, mm-hmm. change the way that you say it. Let's go eat, Grandma. Now you're a cannibal, right? <laughs> Isn't it? It's the same thing, right? And this is what Donald Trump has mastered. This is his superpower, that he has the ability to say things that trigger responses in people for them to do things that for whatever the fucked up reason is, why would he want to physically harm 
Tish James, why would he want to physically harm Alvin Bragg? Why would he want to physically harm Jack Smith or Fannie Willis? Why would he want to physically harm anyone because he's been prosecuted for his own dirty deeds? Right? I mean, how about own your responsibility? But that's not possible because this man has escaped responsibility and he will do everything in his power in order to continue to try to project strength and to exonerate him from any culpability in any of that. But as a, as a follow-up, I wanted to ask you this. Do you think Trump's violence-tinged threats will cause Tish James or any of the DAs or special counsels or attorney generals to back down? No. No, I do not. I do not think that he can intimidate them. I think they're courageous people. There's a line from The Untouchables that I like um, here where, where, where Elliot Ness says, you know, I have people out there, uh, says to a lawyer, I have people out there risking more than their reputations, right, to get Capone, right? And I think in this case, the lawyers are the ones who are out there, and they are willing to risk more than their reputations, in order to bring Trump to justice. I think that they knew that when they they knew that when they started when I signed up for the job, right? When Fannie Wells knows the moment she decides to investigate Trump what she's going to be in for, so does Tis James, so certainly uh, does Jack Smith. They all so does Alvin Bragg. They all know it. They all know what they're going to have to do. They all have private security now. Um, you know, Trump can say what he wants from behind Secret Service protection. These lawyers have to go out there and hire their own security, but they've hired their own security, right? They're doing the things that they uh, can think to do to protect themselves because they know they have to. But that's not going to stop them on their on their pursuit of justice. I think that they are, you know, even I don't always agree with some of their legal decisions, um, but I think they are courageous people, right? I think that the kind of people who would be intimidated um, – by Trump are the kinds of people uh, who vote and work for him, right? Like, <laughs> like the kind of people that 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 would stop um, are kind of already in his camp, right? It's the kind of people where these threats and intimidations don't work. Those are the people who have broken from him, who have stood up to him. It's the use, it's the Liz Cheney's, it's the you know, the, there there are people who are not afraid. And those people are already against him. But, but, so I think that he's running. But let me say this to you, though. I'm afraid. And I'm not, af I'm not, I'm not ashamed <laughs> yeah. Yeah. or yeah. embarrassed to say it. I am. I, am. Um, I get countless death threats every single time they post my face on television. Um, when I end up going to take the stand uh, sometime in the next two weeks, uh, in this case, uh, being called by the attorney general, by the prosecutor. I worry about these MAGA maniacs. I don't have security. Yeah. You see, Tish James, the prosecutors and so on, they all have security. They all have somebody watching their back. Their cases, they, they don't have a case unless they have witnesses in order right, to put, you know, to put on for their case. I am I'm concerned yeah, I, and I have absolutely no protection, no assistance. I have nothing from Uncle Sam. I have nothing from the state of New York, nothing from the attorney general. And yes, I want to see Donald Trump held accountable for his dirty deeds. But I'll tell you what I don't want to see. I don't want to see Donald Trump indicted. I don't want to see him prosecuted, charged, convicted. 
for a crime that he did not commit simply because I fundamentally disagree with what he has to say or how he behaves or how he's now conducting himself. I don't want that. That's bad for the rule of law. That's exactly what Trump did with his DOJ, especially when they remanded me to prison because I refused to waive my First Amendment constitutional right. I have a lot of my own personal issues here. But one of the other issues that I have is my safety. And what about even like Donald Bender, the accountant that spoke about him? What about the other 40 or 50 witnesses that they intend to call? You are now, as the attorney generals, the prosecutors, in order for justice to be had, you are asking these people to put their own personal safety and security on the line in order for a bigger cause. Now, I'll tell you something, though. I like that Elliot Ness sort of line. It's true, and I feel that same way. But to say that I'm not concerned and nervous and to say that I don't want to be around long enough to watch my kids walk down the aisle and to see grandchildren and great-grandchildren, that would be a lie. I do. Yeah, no. I so, you know, I so I misspoke. I didn't mean to say not afraid because obviously, look, cur- uh, 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 courage without fear is just stupidity, right? No, to be courageous, you have to be reasonably uh, a concern um, for what for the what the downsides are. And so what I'm what I was trying to get at is that the people who are showing up um, are it's not that they're not afraid; it's that they are courageous and they're going to stand up to this because after everything you just said, Michael. You're going to show up in two weeks, right? You're not in the Bahamas right now, right? right? You're not in Fiji. I wish. Um, and you're not. You're not. You're, you're you're out here, and you're going to show up in two weeks and give truthful testimony. Bender showed up yesterday and gave truthful testimony. There are people, you know, Kevin Wallace shows up every day and looks Trump in the face and calls him a crook. Tish James is in the courthouse every day while Trump glowers at her. People are courageous. And that's to answer your question about intimidation. The intimidation is works on weaker people than who Trump is up against right now. I'll I'll accept that. So let let me ask you this then, because (laughs) (laughs) Trump's (laughs) so Trump's attention on Tish James, it's it's obvious, I mean, that it's a sign that this civil fraud case pending against him is an existential threat against not only his future power, but his very existence. So do me a favor, discuss with me, what do you see happening as the so-called corporate death penalty takes hold and potentially forced to liquidate his holdings? Yeah, so one of my favorite lines is from Eddie Murphy uh, from uh, Eddie Murphy in Trading Places, where he says to Dan Aykroyd, "I've learned that one of the ways to hurt rich people is to make them poor people." Now, I don't th- there, there's nothing. I don't think this will make Trump a poor person. I would never insult actual impoverished people by saying there's anything you can really do to Trump to make him poor. But it's going to take a huge chunk out of his business so-called empire, right? I saw today that he once again has dropped off the Forbes 400 list um, in terms of wealthiest people. And you, we know, you know, you've told us how important being on that list is to him. Uh, so the, 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 the liquidation of his assets 
isn't going to turn him into a poverty case because he'll always have the ability. I mean, Trump's entire business is to trade on his name and he's always going to have his name. He's always going to have the ability to you know, fundraise at this point um, off of his name. He's, he's always going to have money, but he's not going to have he's not going to have a business. Right. He's not going to have the ability to uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um he's he's not a titan anymore right he's just a guy he it's it, it changes him from an american businessman to like billy mays right he, he's gonna sell you some water right. maybe some ties a couple of hats and an insurrection but he's a pitch man not a businessman right and that's what this will do to him the other thing that it'll do michael i know we're running out of time but the other thing it'll do that i just want to throw out there because i know you care about this too it hurt his kids it's, it's like his kids have no skills and are are just kind of hooked up to waiting for that inheritance and hooked up to Trump org is more important to his kids ability to make money than it is to Trump because Trump, like I said, he's a pitch man. He can still sell himself. Eric don't got those skills. And so I really think that this is going to hurt his, his children at least as much as it hurts. Well, it'll definitely hurt Don and it'll hurt Eric. It won't hurt Ivanka, especially now that Jared has managed to create this fund with the two plus billion from the Saudis and keeping that unholy relationship going. But I actually see his financial situation a lot worse than you do, you know, because he prides himself, for example, on the Mar-a-Lago. He won't be able to continue to afford the Mar-a-Lago property. You know, one of the things that I try to explain to people is that the money that the Trump organization was making, believe it or not, at the end of the year, the real big money that Trump made over the course of his career was really from The Apprentice, uh, which, which is right. hard to believe. Now, it's, will he be able to open up with the Saudis and other live golf? Maybe. Maybe. And that I actually blame this Biden administration for allowing that unholy relationship with Jared and Donald to continue, because right now they need America a whole lot more than America needs them. And, you know, I would put an end to this entire nonsense. I would want to see all the contracts. I would want to know from MBS exactly what was promised to him by Kushner. And so otherwise, I'll tell you what I do. I canceled the contract for the military equipment. Oh, yeah. And, you know, by the way, you know, the X billions of dollars that you gave us for that contract, we're going to hold it here in America because we're going to reactivate the case against the Saudi Arabian government for 9-11. That's what I would do. All right. But then again, that's just me. I'm a little bit radical. Okay, so you're not wrong when you say that time goes very quick here on Maya Culpa. I have one last question for you. Now, there's a lot of conversation going on as to how the fuck does Donald Trump get stuck into a trial that becomes a bench trial? I mean, I've heard this now, and I've heard a thousand different stories, which is hard to believe that there's more than two, right? Either you did or you didn't. Explain what you know happened with this whole issue of the jury trial, that he is not having one because his lawyers, and I have seen this, and I have the document that was his lawyer at the time was Alina Haba, didn't fill out the paperwork properly and request one. So is that possible, or do you think it's more likely that they realized that a Manhattan jury, as you wrote, 
would have been the best thing for their racist, rapey client. Right. So, look, it's you're saying paperwork at, at, at paperwork at the at the start of the process to get a jury trial. It's a checkbox. It is a real obvious checkbox. Do you request trial by jury check or do you request a bench trial different checkbox? Right. And she checked the bench trial checkbox, not the trial by jury checkbox. So that's pretty goddamn simple. Right. Um, now, the question is. Was this an epic mistake or a legal strategy? And I believe, because it's, I mean, look, I know that there are stupid people out there. It is hard for me to believe that somebody's that dumb. So I believe that it was a legal strategy, right? And that when they were looked, when the lawyers were looking at whether or not they were going to be better off with a single judge who was, you know, going to be an expert in all the facts and all the documents and all of the, and all of the uh, the financial uh, laws and regulations, were they better off with a single, basically, expert who might not like Trump, who might not vote for Trump, but is an expert at his job? Or are they better off with a random selection of 12 people from Manhattan? And I think they made a strategic decision, because remember, this is a civil trial, which means you're not even at the kind of uh, uh, beyond a reasonable doubt level, right? You're at a preponderance of the evidence level, right? I think that they thought that a random selection of 12 people from Manhattan was not a great look for their client. Now, the question then is, did they tell Trump that or not? Because it's entirely possible to me that they made the legal decision, we're not going to ask for a jury trial. Yeah, but trial. they would never, they would only, never make you know, that decision without first conferring with Donald. You know, and maybe, so, they think, so you think... Yeah, so maybe you're right. Maybe, look, maybe they thought, maybe Donald thought, but for whatever the reason might be, why not then just say, we believe in this judge. And by the way, if you really want to not piss off the judge, how about don't attack his clerk and don't attack... The attorney right? general, I mean, right, I mean, or the prosecutors or the judge himself. I mean, that's kind of stupid. But if you really, that was your strategy, why not just say, we have full faith in this judge that he will do the right thing and he will hold for us that there are no damages, that there was no case here, blah, blah, blah. We're relying on the judicial system. Instead, he's now claiming that he is being deprived of a jury trial. Who's ever heard of anything like this in, That's what I'm in the whole I think world? I think in the whole world, I'm saying that I think there's a chance that Trump just did not understand the choice. Maybe if they asked him, sure, there's a chance that Trump just straight up did not understand the choice he was being asked to make. Like, I, yep. I don't put that past them. It's also possible this is all part of this is, you know, this is guerrilla grift, right? That their plan was to not request a jury trial and then bitch about not being able to get a jury trial because that was going to muddy their waters. Like could have been, that could have been the chess strategy plan. Um, but it could be as simple as checkers that they didn't understand what they were doing until they actually did it. And then fundraise off of it too, right? Right. And then Trump showed up expecting to be able to be a showman for a jury and was surprised when he realized that his own lawyers and he chose not to have that and now he's just complaining about it it's it's it, it's a, it could be as simple or as strategic as that but the but make no mistake the it was a choice because because it's a simple checkbox 
to get a jury trial in Manhattan, and they didn't check the box. Right. And, and look, he's also been fundraising off of it, so who knows? You, you could be right. Maybe it, maybe it was part of a strategy. I personally think that she just messed up. Uh, and now, of course, they're trying to blame it on Chris Kais. I mean, this, this is such a group of, of misfits. But let me thank you. It's so good to see you. You know, I appreciate, love having you on. Um, hopefully I'll have you back again. I'll be seeing you, obviously, in the green rooms. So you stay safe, my friend, and um, look forward to seeing you. And You too. Again, for all of your incredible views, points, and all of your writings, um, I certainly, again, tell my listeners, check out The Nation. It's fabulous. Thank, thank you so much for having me, Michael. You got it, my man. And now for today's mea culpa. Watching chaos descend on the House of Representatives as Gates, Green, and the other radical lunatics hijack our government is a potent reminder of the destructive power of Donald Trump's MAGA agenda. Once again, we watch helplessly as chaos erupts with no way to put the toothpaste back in the tube. I personally, I'd like to think that all of this will be helpful to the Democratic cause. That the American people will watch what happens when you hand power to these fucking morons and recoil in horror. But sorry, not happening in this lifetime or the next. Donald Trump has so altered the way that we conduct ourselves that there is no longer a line to be crossed. What we are witnessing is now the norm politics as blood sport, or more apt, politics as professional wrestling. Figures like Gates are breakout stars in the world of reality TV, black and white villains for the viewers to loathe or love with equal measure. The days of reason are gone. This house is now in the hands of narcissists and fucking lunatics. It's politics as reality TV. I'd like to think better days are upon us, but they're not. We're dealing with a profound sickness in the body politics. How and when this will pass is anyone's guess. But for now, we'll have to find solace that the GOP is eating its own in the kind of circular firing squad that deemed all previous revolutions. A common cause to disrupt and dismantle the administrative state and drain the swamp has now been replaced by purity tests and factionalism. It was all a bunch of bullshit anyway. At least now we can watch them destroy one another. So grab your popcorn, my friends, because that's what they're doing. They are destroying one another. And as always, thanks for listening. Maya Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. (laughs) 